It's time to look into the future. It's not just about AI, although it is a big part of 2024. Will we still be looking at that technology? And what are some of the other big technology trends that businesses will be adopting for the rest of the year? Next up on Today in Tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Joining me on the show today is Mike Bechtel. He is the Chief Futurist and Managing Director at Deloitte Consulting. Welcome to the show, Mike. Uh, Keith, thanks for having me, man. How does it? How does one become a Chief Futurist? Is it? Is it? Do you start out in your career saying, "I'm gonna, I'm just gonna predict the future," and because it's such a cool title? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, thank you. Uh, you. You know, I. You just had me thinking of an alternate timeline wherein I was, you know, the deputy under understudy futurist, you know, second <laughs> second level. But you know, super straight talk. I, I my journey, and I'm sure there there are different ones, but uh, I I was an inventor uh-huh. for about twelve years. You know, R and D vibes, U.S. patents. You know, art of the possible. Uh, after that, I was an investor. I worked as a venture capitalist for about eight years. And nothing like putting your money where your mouth is to get a, a, a handle on the difference between what's possible and what's profitable. Yeah. So in many ways, the, the chief futurist work is sort of a third act that marries up the, you know, the youthful exuberance and optimism of, of that first career right. with the practical tactics of the second, a.k.a. of all this stuff that could happen, what looks most likely given kind of market mojo and the rest. Right. And the, the short answer is, you know, you make up the title and the market reacts and then it's too late to get in trouble with your boss. I just think it's a cool title. So, um, you know, or, or, you know, in my in my mind, you become a futurist if you attend Hogwarts type of uh, a thing. And, uh, you know, you've got the magic yeah. behind you. All right. So the reason wizardry for moguls. Yeah. The, wizardry. For that's what I'm here for. The reason we have you on the show today is that uh, you guys came out with uh, your tech trends report. Uh, and this is now in the 15th year, or is it the 16th? It's one of those two, um, yeah. where where you guys have been identifying, I think, since 2008, 2009. Um, so since then, you know, talk a little bit of the the creation of the report and, you know, have you changed the core methodology over the years? Um, what's what's different this year, maybe, than, than in previous years about this whole report? Like, you know, why do you guys do it? Well, Keith, you know... For starters, one of the biggest tropes or cliches, idioms, you know, pick pick your term, but one of the biggest phrases in in the world of futures or foresight work is that the future's already here. It's just not very evenly distributed. Okay. Now, you know, William Gibson, Neuromancer, 1980-something. We at Deloitte, with our tech trends work, we we take that surprisingly literally. And, And here's what I mean. As you know, a 178-year-old global professional services firm, one of the nice things about our our, uh, sort of situation, if you will, is that we're working with clients in just about every sector and just about every geography. And so, Keith, what what we've learned over these 15 years is that there is somebody in some far flung region, far flung sector, building something that figures to be part of our tomorrow mm-hmm. today. And so in short, we're not even predicting or, or, or making speculations on anything. We take more of a journalistic approach. We chronicle little faces of the future being whipped up today right. somewhere. Right. And if we have enough evidence points around those, 
we can confidently say, hey, this thing's got legs and it figures to become normal for the rest of us in the next 18 to 24 months. Right, right, right. And um, all right. So <clears throat> when you look back at maybe some of the trends in your previous reports, were there any areas that where you went and looked back and go, wow, we, you know, we really missed the ball on that one. Um, I, 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 I can't imagine that you guys would ever admit that. Um, I, and, and more, it would be more like, well, the world just wasn't ready for this yet. Or we thought <laughs> right. it was going to happen. It still may happen, but, you know, the world needs to catch up. Uh, for, for example, for example, you know, um, AR and VR was the was the big topic in 2016. And, and so now we're seeing this this come back in the in the 2024 report. Um like how do you how do you I don't even know how to, how do you save face I guess is is yeah. is the question or is is it not something that you guys look at? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, 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 we absolutely acknowledge where we've gotten a little irrationally exuberant. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, you know, it's it's across sectors uh, with language, but but you know, I'll give you an example. Eight nine years ago, we we spilled a fair amount of ink talking about gamification. Yep. And in and, and this idea that, you know, uh, per, per the great book, reality is broken, that if we could put, you know, m- meaningful milestones and, and, and laudits and achievements and in professional work. And we, again, we saw evidence that many of our clients were beginning to, that we could s- begin to sort of measure and manage work in the professional space in, in, in new and improved ways. And, that never really became the norm, mm-hmm. right? At least not. At least it wasn't called gamification. But but to your point, sometimes the trend sits underneath the titling. Mm-hmm. And so while gamification achievements and badging didn't necessarily <laughs> become the new norm, you know what did? Lots of micro measurements, okay. lots of dashboards, and. Generally speaking, the the digita- digitization and management of of everything from you know what what calls did you hop onto to how much did you talk during them. So sometimes it's the themes under the the wackadoo titles that that actually matter more than the the point brand. Well, you aren't aren't you responsible for the, for some of the wackadoo titles when you're writing the report or? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, yeah. All right. hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Well, again, I mean, that's, that's just like with, in journalism, you know, you have a, a writer that writes a really long and detailed story. And what most people pay attention to is the editor that slaps a headline and a subhead on there. And whether that headline gets it or doesn't, you know, you want to get clicks and views too, just like everybody else. It's so you, 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 you know, you, you modify and tweak things a little bit. Yeah. Keith, you know, it, it, it there's this old great quote from, um, from Henry David Thoreau, right? Didn't expect to hear about him today, but here we are. Uh, he said, read not the times, read the eternities. Mm-hmm. And what he was really getting at was that, you know, buzzword, you know, zeitgeist headlining has a way of stealing our attention from the enduring. Right. And so, you know, to, to your, I think to your great insight, Keith, you know, from, from one communicator to another, um, the, there, there's a need to put an understandable wrapper and veneer around these big amorphous concepts. Hence the headlines, hence right, things right. like 
reality online or what have you. All right. We're, um, so we're going to jump. I want to jump into obviously this year's report. I mean, I, otherwise, then what's the point of this whole video? <laughs> Other than just you and I talking about stuff. Um, all right. So one of the, the key themes that came out was that you feel in 2024 that companies are going to start seeking a balance between, and, and again, these are great words, um, shine on one side and substance on the other. And to me, when I was reading this, it felt like, you know, the, is this a fancy way of saying that, that companies should not be jumping on hyped technologies as much as they may have in the past? And obviously, when I use the term hyped technology, I think we, we all know what what technology I'm talking about from 2023. So <laughs> is, is that, is that part of, if, if you looked at the overall theme, we're going to jump into some of the, like the individual trends, but talk about, you know, how you figured out what the overall theme was going to be this year uh, with this balance. Yeah. So Keith, you know, one of the, one of the things that we've, we've recognized with, with our Deloitte tech trends work uh, over the last 15 years is that, Interesting movements can popcorn up from just about anywhere, but the ones that seem to have most purchase and traction with our clients tend to fit in these surprisingly enduring six buckets. Okay. Right. Now, three, three of those are, think of it like the traditional IT stack, right? You've got, you've got interface, you've got database, and then you've got the number crunching place mm -hmm. or the, you know, some would call it, you know, UI, uh, information, uh, compute. Um, the other three, they tend to be the business and people side of the shop, right? That old idea that culture or business eats, you know, tech for breakfast. Mm -hmm. You've got cyber risk and trust, the, 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 the perennial notion that there's folks out to do us harm. And then you've got maybe the, the chin scratcher here, um, core modernization, the recognition that these old rusty but trusty systems have to be dragged along to play nicely with all the Futurama. And so in, de you know, in determining or, or, or sort of intuiting that these six categories matter, but there's always something new per category, Yeah, really guides our fishing each year. And so when we talk about shine versus substance, that inoculates us against all the snake oil because the tendency is it, to look at this stuff a la carte, you say, oh goodness, it was metaverse, but now it's gen AI, right? It's like, no, no, no. Augmented virtual reality still has a place on the interaction layer. And gen AI, yeah, very much has a place in the information layer, but it's not one or the other. Right. When you look at it individually, it, it's like watching six-year-olds play soccer, right? You mob the ball, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> when you pull, you pull the lens back, you say, okay, all six areas matter and you can't have the shiny stuff unless you've built it on a you know, kind of a stable foundation of what some people might consider the boring stuff. Well, well, when you when you see one of these trends, whether it's a new technology or something that you might not have seen before, do you then tend to say, oh, this new technology will fit in bucket A, B, C, or, you know, four, five, six? Um, yeah. Or, you know, it's almost like, do you take that trend and then say, oh, well, it'll fit here, or it'll fit here, or has there ever been a case where you're like, it's not fitting in any bucket. And then what do we do then? I don't know if yeah, you've ever you know, experienced it, you know, or as you've developed <laughs> this, you're like, you know what? Everything does fit in one of six buckets. So in the, in the early days of our report, it was full on potpourri, right? We okay. would talk with clients globally about what literally what's new, what's next, what's cooking. And what, what we would start to find is 
the stories that had the most purchase with not just the technology teams, but the rest of the C-suite, the board and their customers, they tended to coalesce around these six areas, right? right? Simpler interfaces, smarter databases, more performant, you know, compute, um, and, and, and. Around four years ago, we made the editorial decision to sort of flip the script, not to put the cart in front of the horse as it were, but to say, hey, listen, a decade worth of input suggesting that these are the six ponds that matter most, mm -hmm. let's mostly lead with those ponds. And so it, it, it's really these days a report around these six topics. Now, when something orthogonal, you know, comes down like alien life, you know, it, <laughs> it, you know, it descends on us, we say, okay, here's a righteous opportunity for a prologue, an epilogue, or a new line of work. Case in point, we put out a piece last June on space technology right with a recognition that a growing wallet share at our clients is going towards things outside of it biotech space tech energy tech climate tech and so that stuff we're all over it but we're recognizing that it's adjacent to core it okay okay all right so you do have a space in case the aliens land and and then <laughs> no, we do. we're ready we're, you're we're ready, ready for it okay that and our robot overloads. Yes. all right so uh, you know also then around these these buckets i also like calling them bu uh, bubbles um you don't rank them in any format again we're going to go through them in a certain order only because I'm, I'm just following the order that you guys wrote in the press release or in the report but just, I want the audience to understand that these are not, we're not going like top trend one, two, we're not ranking them. Um, explain, you know, because then I was also thinking like, you know, would a company more likely gravitate towards one of these buckets or bubbles, depending on what business they're in, or is it something, you know, something completely different? Yeah, definitely, definitely not ranked. It's it's not a yeah. top six. Okay. It, it's really more of a, hey, y'all are likely facing these six areas of, of mindshare and, and investment. And so let's talk about the things that feel most prescient in each. Okay. So let's jump in. And so we're going to, and again, this is the, the, you know, I'm just going in the order for that you guys have written. It's, uh, the first, the first big individual trend for 2024 was spatial computing in the industrial metaverse. And you guys write that augmented reality and VR are making headlines in the consumer space. Obviously, we're like we're right in the middle of uh, Apple um, just launching this Vision Pro to um, lots of lots of different opinions there. Um, but the biggest impact you guys are saying is going to be in that industrial space where we're talking about technologies that aren't as exciting, but still very relevant, which is digital twins, spatial simulation, augmented work, uh, augmented work instructions. Um, so within that road, so talk a little bit about that, but then I know I have another follow-up question around um, you have a, this neat term called a post-screen future. So what, what will that mean? Talk about some of the, the trends within this industrial metaverse, but then hit me up on what you mean by post-screen future. Sure. So Keith, one of the, you know, one of the, the, the things we've recognized in the human computer interaction space, right, is that we're living in an age that our, our successors, right, our, our, our progeny would look back at and they might call it peak screen. Okay. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you think about it, you know, I'm regularly with clients, I say, how many of y'all have a phone? You know, a hundred hands go up. How many of y'all have two phones, church and state? And then, you know, another, another, you know, 50% of hands go up. And then you've got the projectors, the screens in the lobby, the confidence monitors. 
our lived environment is literally overrun with 16 by nine pixel beds. Mm -hmm. We're living at peak screen. And so it's through this lens that we're starting to recognize, wait a minute, all this headset AR VR stuff, which many of us grew up, you know, as, you know, a, you know, a $20 game at the mall. And now, you know, a game that our kids play, you know, with their, with their headsets, you know, it, it, that that stuff is starting to move into the main, not because it's shiny or capital intensive, but because it's, it's a simple gateway to get us out of the tyranny of all these screens. Now, interesting. Okay. I mean. Okay. So here's, here's where it starts to get real. We've seen at our clients endless prototypes and pitches around replacing the, you know, the heads in boxes video con meeting with, you know, we're all going to throw on headsets and collaborate in a, you know, metaverse environment, if you will. Yep. That tends not to take off for two reasons. One, people don't want to wear a toaster on their face to, to work. <laughs> but two, the, the standard or the lift to go from 4K camera faces to 4K avatar faces, it's just okay. However, folks working in warehouses, oil rigs, factory floors, these cats have been sold tablets, phones, laptops for 20 years. And the answer has almost entirely been, yeah, thanks, I'm good because I don't want to fall off this platform into the ocean because I'm doodling around on a phone. Right. Or I'm holding a tablet and not looking where I'm walking. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. And so that sort of blue collar job, right? The standard for hands-free digitization, the leap is profound because suddenly they're going from laminated sheets of daily printed paper to holy smokes, I can paint pixels over my lived experience where they're needed most. That's a real value prop. Right. Now, what surprised us, Keith, was on the other end, we, we were casually calling it the other blue collar job, doctors, mm -hmm. surgeons, nurses. These are folks who, you know, different sector of the economy, but similarly, they haven't wanted to be burdened by having little screens in their life all, all the time. They want to focus on the patient. And so here comes, you know, as, as we go from bulky headset to decent looking ski goggles to in a couple of years time, good looking glasses, we're going to start to see a post screen future where all of the corners of the economy that have kind of said thanks, but no thanks to little rectangles in their pocket are going to get busy with digital. So is it a case where then the, the platform could be dependent on whether someone uses their hands a lot and needs, needs the, uh, a hands-free uh, environment? And that's where you might see some of this stuff? Because um, it's interesting that you bring up doctors. I, I was I'm wondering where we might see some things there. Obviously, it would be surgery, you know, surgery assistance. Yeah, and not I actually mean, fake. Because because again, if my doctor shows up in in what I, you know, if my if 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 she shows up in in my during my yearly physical and she's wearing a ski mask, I'm I'm like running out of there. <laughs> right, because the, the I want to see my doctor's eyes. So, but if if now if a surgeon is using it, then yeah, that that's acceptable. Um, right. So I'm wondering if it, if if it's this whole hands free thing. Hands free is at or towards the core of it. Yeah. I mean, one of our client case studies we chronicle in in the Deloitte Tech Trends this year is at Stanford Medicine, where surgeons, you know, you've heard this old phrase, "Measure twice, cut once." Right, you, know, you yeah. could argue it never matters so much as surgery. 
Right. And so these folks building digital twins of the patient, giving it a couple of, you know, a couple of goes in silico, working on pixels before they dare to, you know, cauterize or cut an atom. So yeah, hand, hands-free, I think, is adder towards the core. The, the other side is anywhere where pixels is greatly, you know, more affordable than than atoms. You know, we talked to Hyundai, the you know, the car car manufacturer, and they're using technologies like this to model out their plants. And and we said, you know, how how come and why this as opposed to CAD and traditional laptops and all that? And they said, there's something experiential and real about walking around in a, in, you know, kind of an aug- augmented or, or virtual factory and figuring out exactly how it ought to be before you pour that concrete. Yeah. Once you've poured that concrete, you know, that's, that's a one-way door. You're not walking that back, at least not cost-effectively. Yeah, yeah. Is there is there any room for a knowledge worker? You know, again, that whole what you and I do on a regular basis. We sit at a computer, we type, we attend meetings, we do Zoom calls. Is there is there any space for an AR, VR, metaverse type of experience for us? Or is it always going to be, I don't want to put this goofy thing on my head and... and and, and try to work in, in an environment like that? Um, or, or is it going to have to be something even more futuristic where I'm just going to have to have a chip implanted in my brain at some point, and that'll be the thing that will get me to the metaverse? Or, or, right, sit, in you know, a, or sit in a pod somewhere with like, with like liquid in it that, that measures everything. <laughs> right. You know, it, it, what, what, one of the, the things we often like to say, Keith, is, is that futurists are, are secretly historians. <laughs> And, you know, you look back at the history of human-computer interaction, and there are a lot of what I like to call gateway technologies, right? Like the eight-track cassette tape was kind of a bummer. You couldn't fast-forward. You couldn't rewind. You know, you're stuck between the middle of two songs you didn't like. Well, I thought you but could it, skip. I, I remember an eight-track where I could skip the song, I think. Oh, the, the program. Yeah, you could. You, there were like four waypoints you, yeah. could, you could jump at. Yeah. Um, but, but the punchline being... Those became gateways to more elegant, accessible tech like cassettes, the mini disc, and now you know right. every song ever in your pocket. Right. Here's where I'm going with them. I think that as we begin, and in our research backs this up, as we begin, thanks to battery advancements, bandwidth, and edge compute, right? The big three, as these devices turn that corner from hot headsets, right, to pair of glasses that's when we're going to start to see a generation for whom it would be more natural to paint pixels at work as needed yeah. than to constantly crane down and look at a phone. And so it's going to be human factors and it's going to require nat- you know, naturalization into it. But I think it's coming for knowledge workers and the, the kind of that middle of the bell curve. Okay. Just not quite yet. And, and, and again, when we were asking, you were talking about this whole post-screen future um, and, it, and, it, and then you use the phrase tyranny of the screen um, does it necessarily like it feels like that's a negative connotation? Is it a bad thing that we're that we've all got different screens uh, in our lives? For example, like I again, I bought a new car last year, not a new one, a new used one, um, but it has uh, a display and there's Apple CarPlay on it, and and I and it's the first time I've had one of those things in my car, and I'm going, wow, I really like this. I've now got my my map, I've got my music, I can plug this in, but but on the on the downside, sometimes my eyes go towards that screen, uh, and wouldn't it be great if I could do all this stuff on the dashboard in front of me so I could look at traffic and kind of monitor all this other stuff? 
Um, yeah, I just I, why did you use the word tyranny there? I guess is my question. You know, I, I think this might come a little less as a you know Del- Deloitte's chief futurist and a little more as a, as a as Mike father of three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a, as a as a father of three, I see. Pardon me. The the sort of trade off between my kids being heads up and engaged with the world and heads down and on their little rectangle. And that that binary switch, I, I see that it's it's two different people, mm-hmm. right? Like getting you know, getting my, my little guy, my eleven year old off of his of his games, it, it really feels like he's coming out of hypersleep and you know needs a couple minutes to reacclimate. And so when I say tyranny of screens, it's really this this recognition that when you're really zoned into an alternative reality, um, you're not present in this one. And I, I think a lot of these augmented reality tools done right are going to allow people to re-engage and bring the best of physical and digital back together into something a little more holistic, something a little more integrated. Yeah. And, and that again, that might be me as an aspirational dad more than as a technology researcher, but you know, sign me up for less chiropractic and a nerd neck. <laughs> well, I mean, that is one of the topics that was brought up on, on a lot of these reviews that I was reading about the Vision Pro was this um, discussion of, do I want to be in there or do I want to be out here? And is there is there a middle ground between this out there and in there? And even even if even if you're in an augmented reality world, that's still separate from non-real or reality reality i guess um so it should be interesting to see where this develops obviously i I don't have the answer right now and i don't think you guys do either i mean but you know that is something that would be looking to in the future so and again you've got you've got an 11 year old i've got i've got three teenagers and it's not going to get any better for you mike i can tell you right right now (laughs) yeah um you're the, you're the real futurist with three teenagers oof, in the house. Well, then let me tell you about that. All right, let's jump into the uh, the next trend. Uh, and, if, you know, it only took a matter of time. We're going to have to talk about AI. Um, so uh, the the trend that you guys have said is that the genie is out of the bottle um, and that Gen AI is going to be a growth catalyst in 2024. Uh, I think that the report mentions either this is either the report mentions this or this is my interpretation of it. Um, But you're basically saying it's the year of moving from quote art of the possible to art of the profitable. And is that the best way of saying that this is the year that we're moving beyond these uh, pilot programs and into the nitty gritty. What what was your big takeaway from this Gen AI trend? And I and actually well, I have a quote. I have a great quote from the report that I want to talk about. But but first I want to hear what your thoughts on the themes themes are. Surely. So, you know, it, it, we all know you can't you couldn't walk you know fifteen feet this past year without hearing about Gen AI. Gen AI. <laughs> have you heard about it? You know, my my, my uh, I'll never forget my aunt. Uh, last November, when when you know the the ChatGPT first dropped, she's literally putting sweet potatoes on my plate, and she says, "Did you know robots can paint pictures and write poems now? It's unbelievable." <laughs> and I'm sitting there, given my station, I was like, "I am aware." Thank you. <laughs> but but here's the punchline: as geeks, as technologists and researchers, you know, we'll be the first to tell you that. Uh, LLMs, transformer models, diffusion models, these are evolutions, not revolutions, right? This is the next page in a book that, that computer scientists have been writing for at least since 1956. But, but it's a business revolution. 
full stop. Why? Because suddenly the people who, you know, write think pieces for a living are finding that that automation waterline is getting to the point where it too can write think pieces for a living. Yeah. And so what do you get? Yeah. Exasperate, right. And so as the sort of chattering class finds itself in, in the, you know, the throes of automation and augmentation, it, it stands to reason that, that the chatter is, is all gen AI all the time. Now, here's what we're seeing at clients. 2023 was this, this year of mass experimentation. Uh, my, my friend and colleague, Bill Briggs, likes to call it random acts of digital, right? <laughs> People in, at the departmental level whipping out credit cards and buying a trial and fooling around with it. And a lot like the early blockchain era, we started to see a lot of hammers in search of nails, right? Hey, we got this thing and it can do anything. What do you want it to do? <laughs> but the trick being, you start to see at clients that they're bifurcating into two groups. There's one group that says, I don't know what I would do because I'm not incented or trained to be terribly curious. What should it do? Yeah. Right? And so you get terms like what should be just called natural human curiosity being like prompt engineering. <laughs> really? No, just think creatively, think different, right? That, that's, that's the punchline. Then you've got more progressive or pioneering clients who are saying, wait a minute, this isn't some tool that we just use to skinny up to do today's work with, with fewer people. This is finally a means to redeploy precious human cycles on our strategic backlog and our higher order problems, aka let's do new and improved work with the same gang. Right. And so for us, the biggest learning around Gen AI is, um, you know, the short termists are looking at it as a bit of like a crash diet. Let's skinny up and please the street, but you can't shrink your way to success. Right. The clever clients are saying, oh, wow, let's automate the muck so we can redeploy our people to that backlog we've been kicking the can on for the last five years. Yep. There's a great quote in this in this section of the report. Uh, actually, there's two great quotes, and and maybe you, you're the one responsible for these quotes. So, um, I'm I'm giving you some right, props I'm here. I'm, or, I'm, pre, I'm preliminarily blushing. What what are they? Mike? Just take credit for it at this point, even if you didn't write it. All right. So so here's the quote with generative AI as a force multiplier for imagination. The future belongs to those who ask better questions and have more exciting ideas to amplify. That's one of the questions or that's one of the quotes. And then the, the other one was people will determine whether these tools scale with magic or mediocrity. Uh, And, and I think that, you know, was this, is this the right response to someone who uses AI to kind of just, well, we're just going to use AI to replace some of the employees. And, and I think that's what you were talking about with the whole short-term skinny approach. Um, or, you know, and then the other, the other quote was like, depending on the person or the company, you, you know, AI is either going to be very magical or it's going to be very mediocre. And again, I, I'm going to take responsibility for this because, you know, this is, this is my quote, my opinion. It feels like whatever Microsoft is doing with its co-pilot is, is going towards that mediocrity. It's Clippy 2.0. It just feels like it's corporate. Uh, this is the corporate approach to AI rather than something that's, that's imaginative and creative and, and allows the people to do different things. But that's just my opinion. I don't, um, like, is that, is that, I think there was a story in there where you you had 
you were doing a focus group or you, there was a focus group and you asked two different people to yeah. use a generative AI image generator and, and just to tell that story yeah. if you can. I no, I'd love to Keith. Yeah. It's my favorite. It, it really is. Um, so we last November, uh, November of 22, it, we had a, um, a convening. We, we call it our AI forum, Deloitte AI forum. We had a convening of, um, C-level executives uh, of com- some companies you've heard of, right? You know, some, some of the faces we, we're used to seeing on, on our TVs over, you know, stock tickers. And sure. Such. And I was playing the role of um, Willy Wonka, right? I'm, I'm demonstrating these then brand new two world tools that can paint any picture you want to see. So I say to this one arms crossed financial executive, <laughs> identity is protected to protect the, the guilty here. Yeah. But I'm, you know, and I'll, I'll make myself a bit of a character. I'm like, sir, it'll paint anything you want, anything, whatever you desire. What do you want to see? And he looks at it and he goes, <clears throat> well, show me a sunset. <laughs> and, and Keith, you get it, right? But, but the, the group of, of fellow captains of industry, they, they all sort of groan audibly like, that's all you got? Right. Why? But here's where it gets really interesting and I think instructional. The picture that comes up is, is a sun, sunset. You know, it's kind of a, a classically beautiful, but ultimately ho-hum sunset. Right. We call those bank calendar images. <laughs> yes. And the executive looks at it. Now he, he crosses his arms even harder and he says, well, it's just a sunset. <laughs> and, and, and again, my, you know, little, you know, thinky bubble over my head is like, yeah, you know, here's why. You know, in geek culture, we developer culture, we have this idea of garbage in, garbage out. And what we're seeing with generative AI is it's it's garbage in, garbage squared. Right. Well, but but here's the happy ending. It can be genius in genius squared too. Because the chief of staff for that same grumpy individual, this this younger woman leader, she she bursts into the circle and she says, Can I go? And I said, I, w- I, w- I would love you to go. And she goes, okay, I want to see potato chips versus pretzels in a fight. <laughs> and the potato chips get nunchucks and the pretzels get squirt guns and the whole flipping things on Mars. Right. Now, Keith, we're, the circle, this same collection of, um, you know, executives, the first look on everybody's face is she's crazy. <laughs> the second moment, the second micro expression is, that's awesome. Yeah. And then the picture renders to literal applause. All of these leaders start clapping and celebrating the, the, the Wonka machine, as it were. And, you know, like, like Pat Morita at the end of, uh, you know, like the Karate Kid, I'm, I'm quietly celebrating her because what, what I'm coming to learn, and I think what our research is showing us in, in leaps and bounds, is that these machines are only as interesting as the humans that are choosing to do interesting things with them. Yeah. And it's not about the hammer. It's about the rusty nails that we prioritize in solving. Yeah. Just as a side note to that, Mike, I want to, when I've been experimenting with a lot of the, the image generation parts of, of generative AI, I am still fascinated by a prompt that is generic, not because I just want to see a sunset or, or something like that. I want to see what the AI thinks is a sunset. And so 
sometimes I'll just put in, I'll put in like a, a, a phrase like old man yells at cloud, uh, which is basically a reference to that Simpsons meme type of a yeah, thing with great. grandpa Simpson yelling at a cloud. But then the, uh, you start to notice maybe some of the biases in the training set because I didn't specify, I didn't, all I said was old man yells at cloud and I get four images of it's, it's always a, a, an old white guy with white hair. He's probably balding. He's wearing like, it's almost like it comes up with the trope or the stereotype that you would think unless you start getting specific, like, okay, I want an old man uh, or I want an old woman yelling in a cloud. But even the old women were, 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 you know, were similar into, into this stereotype. Um, maybe that's just me. And, and so sometimes I, I will do two prompts. I'll do a, you know, I'll do the crazy potato chips fighting pretzels, but sometimes I want to, I want to see, I'm just going to give you a generic statement and, 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 and the variety never changes. That's, that's what, what I find interesting at the moment. You know, Keith, I, I love your example there around what, what we might think of as preconditions yeah. or sort of the, the ether, uh, the, the shared ether on which this stuff stands. You know, one, one of the client examples we, we heard about in, in our Deloitte Tech Trends research was we, we talked to Eastman Chemical out of good old Kingsport, Tennessee, and, you know, they make window films, they make hundreds of things that just kind of power, um, you know, our lived experience. Yeah. And they had years of sales calls data um, because, you know, for years, we as techies have known that disk is cheap and, you know, this call may be recorded. Right, for right, right. Purposes. Yeah. Well, it goes off to some disk on a cloud somewhere. Do they actually well, ever use it for training purposes or is it just? Well, but here, here's the thing, <laughs> Keith, I love, I love. The, the authenticity of your question, because now they can. Yeah. So, so they weren't using it before, but now they are. <laughs> well, right. Because if, if you, you know, it reminds me of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark where, you know, they put the Ark of the Covenant in the <laughs> warehouse never to be seen. With the introduction of generative AI, they can make 10 years of sales call transcripts, a searchable conversational sales buddy on the side. And so now when their sales pros are having a discussion with a customer and they encounter an objection in real time, they can say, Hey, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're pushing back an X, Y, Z. What might I do? And this friendly guide on the side can say, well, you know, last seven years of data say you might want to come back with blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. And so the, the reason I share that in light of your point around biases and, and kind of the ether is if you just plumb the last eight years of sales data, you're going to get the eight last eight years of tropes and habits. But what, what they've started to recognize, and I think a lot of our clients have too, is that you need to introduce what's called a constitution on top of that that says, here's how we've been, but here's how we further aspire to be. Okay. And so let's use less, you know, gender biased language. Let's use less in the way of like, you know, historical rapport building tactics and more in the way of this, that, and the other thing. Said another way, we need to teach these digital children well, and we can't just say, hey, here's the last decade, let's repeat that at scale. Yeah. No, let's take that and then zhuzh it up with our aspirations of who we wish to be. Yeah, what will be interesting would be the number of companies that then take that next step and try to become more aspirational. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll yeah. see how that happens. All right, there's, there's, there's four more trends I want to get to, so I don't want to, I mean, again, we could talk for hours on this, but I want to 
kind of keep this within our, our time limit. Uh, the next one is smarter and not harder. Uh, beyond brute force compute, many new technologies will require increasingly sophisticated code and computing power, which means more than just the traditional cloud computing architectures. So what do you see as, as kind of on the horizon here? Uh, in in the world of and I guess we're talking infrastructure networking and and all sorts of IT kind of fun IT stuff. Yeah, that that's right, Keith. You know this this one gets a little more back of the house and and a little more you yep. know uh, you know Unix admin energy you know as opposed to uh, you know <laughs> pop culture. But 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 this stuff matters. Yeah, and, and here here so. You know you, you can't talk with an emerging technology person without the obligatory Moore's law reference, right? You know, right. This, this sure. multi-generation recognition that, you know, the, the COBs have <laughs> costs, have the performance doubles and you know, the, the, the joy increases every 18 months. Great. Well, here's the deal. As the laws of physics start calling into doubt, you know, the ability for that, that series of, you know, miracles to continue at, at, at pace, a lot of our clients have found that virtualization and parallelization mm-hmm. have been the next two rabbits out of the hat in a world where miniaturization isn't quite cutting it. Okay. Right? And so you get you get cloud, you get multi-core, you get all of the, you know, the last 10 years of the IT playbook. Right. Hybrid architectures, oh. private public clouds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Bingo. Yep. Here's what's changing. In the same way that outside outsourcing and offshoring 20 years ago was just a straight up cost arbitrage story, right? Like, hey, these people over here can do the same work for pennies on the dollar, right? But gradually markets are going to market, right? The world gets flat. And now the story for outsourcing or offshoring is, hey, no, we're going to move to the Philippines because they're great at this, not because they're just cheap at this. Okay. Well, so too, we're starting to see that dynamic with cloud. Where, okay, wait a minute, if I move everything lift and shift from my basement to that company's giant basement, I might not necessarily just save money anymore, right? The, 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 the money savings angle is in the process of equalizing. And so the question, and this is really at the core of the trend we're seeing, is, okay, if it's not just about big no-brainer moves anymore, what's it about? It's about big-brainer moves. It's about saying, okay, these three subsets of processes work best on our kit in our server room. Mm-hmm. These two require fresh code and should be run on edge compute on brand new processors, right? And then these three over here, by all means, yeah, ship it out, right? Cloud source it. But the punchline, whether it's Colroot Group in Belgium saying we've got all this operational tech at the edges that's under leveraged, let's use it to share with, you know, help drive our compute power, right? Right. Or Enbridge up in Canada saying, listen, we're going to treat IT, OT, Edge, and data center as a, a, a basket of different tools for different purposes and really focus on writing the right code, running on the right chip. Um, the, the era of, as I like to say, big, dumb, binary lift and shift is, is now behind us. And it's back to let's architect the heck out of this and do the right stuff on the right chips because that's where what we're going to have to do to save money. Okay. Okay. There was another there was another part of this 
predict or this this trend that I wanted to ask you a question about. You 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 said that even on the you know again on the horizon would be post digital scenarios. So I wanted you to talk about the whole post digital idea, um, and then scenarios such as quantum and neuromorphic computing, um, which anytime someone says quantum computing. To me, it's just like just over my head. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I start thinking quantum leap, and I start thinking, you know, Schrodinger's cat, basically. <laughs> um, so, can you explain this to you know this fifth grader type <laughs> of, of person? Oh, I know I'm, I'm being a little self deprecating. Oh well, but I'll I'll be self deprecating right back with you. What what am I? Like a Harry Anderson in Night Court used to have that black and white photo of Mel Torme was his hero. I've got a Richard Feynman back there because I'm a nerd. But Richard Feynman, a quantum physicist attached to the Manhattan Project, you know, he famously said, listen, uh, e- even quantum physicists can barely understand or explain quantum mechanics. And so, so rest assured, I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. But, but, but the, idea, the idea really is this. Um, classical computing is anchored on mathematics. And no matter how elegant or sexy CPU compute, GPU compute, AI compute gets, it's ultimately just math and statistics, right? Quantum computing is this fundamentally different animal. It says, listen, um, what if we could solve wicked sticky problems, not with mathematics, but with physics? With the fundamental nature of the way the, the world works. And, and one of the better analogies I've ever heard, Keith, is soap bubbles, right? If, if you, you know, you're doing the dishes or you're washing your hands, do the bubbles know how to form? Are they mathematical geniuses? Do they, do they understand the path? No, it's surface tension, uh-huh. right? It's just, it's easiest for the bubbles because physics finds easy, right? And so with that same idea in, in tow, imagine a, 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 a cryptography problem or a traveling salesman problem or a chemical modeling problem anchored not on mathematics, but on what do the bubble say is easiest, right? Like what's the shortest path between 53 cities for a sales pro? Ask the bubbles, right? And so this stuff is fascinating, but it's only beginning to turn the corner from science problem to engineering problem. Okay. And so, it, it, generally speaking, it's been a not ready for prime time tech for the last five, 10 years. Yeah. The good news is, five years ago, it felt like it was roughly 10 years away. Today, it feels like it might be, you know, less than five. So, we're, it, it, it won't be five years away for, forever. Okay. We're getting. It, and does this, does this require a, a kind of breakthrough or something that, that doesn't exist right now? Or is it just a matter of we just need. X, Y, and Z to, to align correctly to get to this point? Like, is it still an engineering problem? Yeah, it, 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 it as of, as of my latest understanding, yeah. it tends to come down to noise and noise management and conditions management that we, we can run what are called qubits at a number, right? And quality that can emulate and approach the effectiveness of today's fastest supercomputers we're, I don't want to say orders of magnitude, but we're a couple clicks away from getting those things to work at a size and scale where it becomes a no-brainer versus today's machines. Okay. But the moment, the moment that cooks up, it's going to be a gold rush. And so many of our clients around the world, 
are appropriately putting their energy into identifying quantum ready use cases because the moment this stuff is available and it won't be us building quantum computers in our basements right this will be cloud-based services right mm -hmm. but like like the old days where you'd share time on the central computer right right if you've got your ducks in a row and you know the questions you want to hand to that quantum machine you're going to be in a much better spot than the folks who are just saying oh that's ready now we should start thinking <laughs> You know, I, I would, I would be the guy with the really dumb question <laughs> in line. Yeah, well, well, oh, you'd be cool. like, oh, wait, I thought this was the line for the bathroom. I'm sorry. Well, do you have a question, sir? It's like, yeah, where's the bathroom? <laughs> right, yeah. Douglas Adams vibes, like yeah. secrets of the universe is 42. Get out of here next. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's move on to, to again, I, I still want to get through some of these. Um, so the next one is from DevOps to DevX. Uh, empowering the engineering experience for companies looking to attract, retain, and engage tech talent. There's going to be a focus on developer experience, which is now the DevX idea, uh, developer first mindset. So, and you're saying that this is going to result in integrated platform choices, intuitive tool chains, development pods, and cultural shifts to enable tradition and quote citizen developers to drive tech value. I've heard the phrase uh, citizen developers before. We're starting to see that a lot. Um, can you just explain why this is a big deal? Like why, why is this shift happening? Um, again, I'm not in the, the developer space as much as other, other people within the industry are. So can you explain to the audience why this is a big deal in a big major trend for the year? Yeah, for sure. You know, so Keith, what, 10 years ago w with our Deloitte tech trends research, we, we put this provocation out, out into market, we said, hey, listen, everybody's going to be a technology company. And, you know, you can imagine mid, you know, Midwestern, mid-market insurance companies, you know, saying like, whatever, kid, right? Because, you know, not, not us, right? But 10 years on, here we are. Yeah. Virtually every company is tech-based, if not tech-adjacent. And, and, and with that, pardon me, with that, has really come this recognition that a growing percentage of enterprise workforces are techies, developers, engineers, coders, geeks. Here's why this is important. Geeks are wired up differently than the traditional white collar ladder climbing executive. Okay. Right. Most organizational incentive plans and career models, right? Cultural rules and mores. It's all about work really hard, right? You know, sacrifice, you know, deliver big outcomes. Then what do you get? The raise and the promotion. You move up the ladder, right? Lots of techies, when handed that raise, they're grateful, but the promotion, it sounds like a threat. You, you want me to put down my, my laptop and pick up a briefcase? No <laughs> thing, right? Boo. Yeah. And, and so what we're seeing is DevX or developer experience it's really just a term that says, listen, um, this crowd ticks differently, they're wired differently. And so rewards, incentives, compensation, culture, right? Rules, red tape need to be rethought of to be friendlier to developer culture. So when it comes to promotions, we talked to Citibank. They said, listen, um, we wanna reward our highest performing developers, not by forcing them to put on the suit and tie and stop coding. We're saying, no, you just unlock the opportunity to code more things in a wider array, right? Like growing horizontally, right? We Here at Deloitte, we're 
drinking our own champagne on this in a big way and saying, listen, no, engineers are an increasingly, you know, not increasingly, they are a tier one part of our go forward workforce. And so let's change the way we look at authorizing software packages, right? Authorizing who's who in terms of the ability to do code commits and reviews, et cetera. All this stuff that used to feel like, you know, not on the mind of the chief human resources officer, it, it, it suddenly is because techies are a bigger part than ever of today's enterprise workforce. Right. Now, but then get into the citizen developer part. Does that also mean that the, those of us that were not in the, the IT department or the, in that developer space, does that mean that there's there's good stuff for us to happen in the future or or we're going to have to basically code our own stuff? Or like the, that, that frightens yeah. me a little bit. Just a little well, bit. I think, but I'm yeah, also a techie it, it, at heart too. But I, but I, you know, again, I'm, I'm mainly a, a journalism guy. Yeah. I, well, you know, Keith, I, I, as a bigger share of workforces becomes technologists as day job, what you start to see is that there's a concentric circle around that of everybody and their brother and sister starting to not just uh, there was this term a decade ago, BYOD, bring your own device. Yep, I remember. Yep, like, yep. Consumerization of IT, et cetera. Yep. Well, what, what we're starting to see is there's this idea that thanks to tools like Gen AI, English is now a fifth generation programming language. And so it stands to reason that, you know, Charlie or Phyllis in accounting can create a program to accelerate their professional day using the language they've got, which is English. And so part of this for the citizen developer is making it easier for folks to make the right decisions and use the right tools than to sort of go color out of the lines and, and, and create problems. And, and so let me get real brass tacks here. It's saying, okay, we know these folks are gonna whip out credit cards and buy their own unapproved tools if we say no to everything. Yeah, that, so start, that's that whole shadow start, IT, rogue IT concept. Yeah, yeah. Right. So let's start saying yes to the right subset of things. Yeah. So that, you know, all these folks around the enterprise, they're f incented to and free to experiment with tools that have been approved and vetted and governed as opposed to credit card swipes everywhere and wondering what's going on. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see the companies that allow this rather than just try to force feed uh, or not to say force feed, but you know, force them into a box that they don't want to be in. Um, so yeah, so Phyllis in accounting decides to start coding or, or use some of these tools, but then she presents it to the company and the company goes, oh, you need X, Y, and Z in order for this to work. And, and then they pass it on to their regular, their, their traditional uh, IT staff or developer staff. And then that developer goes, well, this doesn't look right to me. And then they change it again. And Phyllis's original idea is now awful. <laughs> or or yeah. not follow through. Like, do you, do you get what I'm saying? Like, that's that's where I have some doubts about this. You know, how 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 far? Do, I, I guess Phyllis would then have to quit and basically start her own company. <laughs> well, you know, it, it was interesting, Keith. In w one of the conversations we've had about this trend with with some folks is that you know that the, there's an element. There, there's we're in a cyclical moment, right? Where where companies are. Uh, in some cases, skinnying up and rationalizing their technology workforces, where it, it doesn't feel like, you know, at this moment in time, we need to bend over backwards for technology wants and, and, and desires. But, but in the macro, right, 
the macro shows us that the lens points to more techies and more citizen techies. And so, um, you know, momentarily, it, you know, it's not this populist movement, you know, because interest rates and the economy and the rest. But, but generally speaking, you know, the, the hyperscalers and the tech peer plays have shown us where this is headed. Yeah. And so the these aforementioned, you know, Midwestern banks, they're going to find themselves living this in the next couple of years. Okay. Uh, once it comes down. All right, we got two more to get through. I'm, I, I know we're going to get through this, Mike. Uh, defending reality uh, is, is another trend where you talk about truth in an age of synthetic media. AI tools are now allowing bad actors to impersonate and deceive targets. Uh, and, you know, we see these with deep fakes all over the place, whether it's entertainment, politics, or, or enterprise type types of uh, uh, attacks. New tools are helping to contribute to the defense. And you're saying responses are going to be able to identify harmful content and make employees more aware of emergent risks. So that's pretty optimistic, given how we've already seen, you know, a, a bunch of stuff out there. So I guess this falls within that security and trust bucket that you were talking about earlier. Um, so do you feel like 2024, we will start seeing a lot more uh, ability for employees to know whether or not they're being, you know, truthful or you know if, if something that is, is sounds legit if it's a if it's a someone using an ai tool to, to uh use their voice to impersonate the cfo type of a thing you know keith yeah. i mean the short answer the shortest answer ever is, is yes it's, okay but but you know double clicking in this just a bit the the thing with the security and trust or the cyber bucket is that it, it always reads like a serial adventure, right? In this episode, our stalwart protectors have the momentary upper hand. You know, check back next year when the baddies now have the MacGuffin. <laughs> well, here, here's what I would tell you. Two years ago, in our Deloitte Tech Trends, we chronicled this idea called cyber AI, real defense. And it was the recognition that in a world where the, the baddies had proliferated in number much faster than, than you know, reputable universities could churn out good guys that the defenders, the, the goodies were using AI as a, as a means of pattern detection and, you know, momentary outlier uh, augmentation uh, in, in plain English, uh, robot reinforcements. Mm -hmm. At the end of that chapter, we talked about sooner than later, the baddies are going to have these tools too. And then right, you know, right on time, here we are in 24. And what we're seeing, Keith, is that the person who used to write the poorly spelled, you know, Nigerian prince email. Yep. Good enough to fool grandma. Right. That individual using AI can now create a, an astonishingly believable simulation of Keith who can hop in on a Zoom call and ask to borrow your password. Yep. And... At its heart, it's the same old social engineering vector that gets you every time. The problem is that we literally can't believe our eyes and ears anymore, and it's not just for the traditionally gullible. Right. So, you know, the, the, the big takeaway here is running digital communications through this sort of digital truth serum, tools like Reality Defender and others that can get in and kind of watermark and inoculate us against that noise. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to increasingly be the norm because, it, you know, we've seen, we've seen apps from folks, they, they put up 25 faces, five are synthetic, 
And they're offering $1,000 rewards to anybody who can find the, the five fakes. Nobody has yet. And this is on the public web. Wow, okay. And so in short, yeah, it's in a post-trust, post-trust our own senses world, we're going to have to fight math with math. Okay. And we think that this is the year that it'll happen or is it going to take more than a year to, to sort of to d- develop this? This, yeah, it, I would say because again, we this always is, we always see that arms race thing. It's like someone goes yeah. up here and then oh, got to catch up. Oh, go again. Yeah, it's it's like this constant battle. That's it. the 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 battlefront right now in in cyber departments around the world is oh my goodness, shockingly believable synthetic voices and faces and videos. Yep. Are 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 it's the new coal face. It's the new war front. Yeah. Uh, it's not gonna. It's not gonna. It, it didn't start this year, and it won't end this year. But that's where the action has been. You know, back to the serial. You know, thinking check back next year as we <laughs> find you know what's new and never ending in the world of spy versus spy. Okay. All right, and then and then the the number six bucket uh, the of the trend for twenty twenty four is this this thing that you call the core workout. Um, and you're, we're moving from technical debt to technical wellness. Now, technical debt is, is the idea of, you know, companies have been spending lots and lots of money on once cutting edge innovations, and now they've got this core tech that needs to be modernized. So it's this whole concept of modernization. Um, now, instead of reactive or piecemeal approaches to technical debt, you're saying companies are going to likely become more holistic, which means technical wellness is a, you know, again, where you've, you've used this big metaphor around um, um, health and wellness assessments. Um, so you're saying that Preventative wellness assessments will identify areas of their tech stack that can continue to serve business needs and prioritize those that need treatment. And that self-healing technologies are going to also reduce the uh, modernization spend that companies are going through. Um, so continue the metaphor because I think it's a, great, it's a great one. But can you explain what you're seeing companies that are, you know, instead of just throwing all of the money and throwing out the old system, something new is going to happen, right? Yeah. No, ha- happily, Keith. Yeah. You know, the <laughs> pardon me. It, one of the biggest questions we get in our our tech trends work is, you know, what, for something focused on what's new, why do you always have this section on 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 what's old, right? You know, legacy, <laughs> right. You know, tech debt, and and core mod and application renewal. And the fact is, it's. It's this old stuff, this rusty but trusty core that tends to be the number one excuse standing in the way of our clients' modernization. Interesting. Right? Okay. Yeah. And you know, if, if I didn't have old Bessie back here holding me down, I'd be I'd be plenty innovative, you see? <laughs> <laughs> and so what we're starting to see at, at some of our, our, our more pioneering clients is they're saying, listen, part of the reason core modernization is such a drag. Because we think about it like going to the dentist, right? It's this once a year thing that you avoid until you absolutely can't. Then you engage, you find out you've got cavities. It's a bad time and it's expensive. And how do you react? You don't learn your lesson. You just kick the can on going again for a year. Right? <laughs> well, imagine that metaphor now applied to, to systems mod. If you've got these machines slowly falling apart in the background, and you're only dedicating a week a year to look at the portfolio and then, oh, yipes, 
right? We need a massive ERP modernization because this thing's like blinking red and about to crash. It's an emergency and it's expensive. And so what smarter companies are doing is they're taking a nod to preventative medicine and saying, listen, what if we just put some monitoring and some management and some metrics on this stuff all year long? And part of every professional day is, oh, this thing over here is looking like it's getting a little creaky. Let's do a surgical strike and update that bit this week. Let's update that bit this week. Let's, back to the self-healing point you made, let's use some AI ML agents to crawl around the systems and raise their hand and say, hey, this guy here is ready for an upgrade and write the Java or the modern code, right, in, in real time to do so. And so the investments in the modernizations aren't necessarily new. What's new is doing it as a regular part of your cadence each week. Mm-hmm. But what you'll find is you'll avoid big catastrophic overhaul needs. You'll also help with attracting and retaining talent because rather than hiring somebody whose you know, unfun job is to look after Bessie, it's no part of what we do every day is we eat our vegetables, aka we keep an eye on this stuff in the background, which has to play nicely with all do, the future drama. Does the infrastructure that and the technology that a lot of companies have allow it to 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 go into this approach, this wellness approach? Like is is yeah. or is it time to take Bessie out to the back and <laughs> and retire right, the, retire the mainframe? Or Bessie. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, know I'm, I'm just assuming Latin. Bessie's a mainframe at this point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know Bessie's, you know, it's a good, de- decent chance Bessie's, uh, <laughs> you know, against 400. But yeah, last year in our Deloitte Tech Trends, we, we chronicled this idea of um, uh, mainframes by another name um, coming back into vogue uh, in the form of high performance on prem GPU compute supercomputers brought to you by folks like NVIDIA, right? And I think generally speaking, um, you know, we, we talk about the five R's, you know, you can remediate, you can, you can, you know, resuscitate, you can, there's all this stuff you could do to bring the old forward. Yeah. Uh, but, but generally speaking, you know, doing nothing can be entirely strategic if it's done with intentionality. And so by monitoring and just keeping an eye on this stuff, you're able to piecemeal your way into modernization rather than just thinking of it as like a monolithic pain in the butt. Yeah, I I guess my follow-up on that would be, haven't we, for the last 20 to 30 years, been down this track of we're going to use a system until it gets old and then we're going to replace it. And, you know, this is whole, the whole operating system update. And then a company says, well, we're not going to support this version anymore. So you're on your own and, you know, we're not going to fix it anymore. And and you get this cycle where, you know, and again, these are, these are modern computing systems, but it could be any piece of equipment. Um, I, I remember working at a place that was still using windows XP as a, as a machine. And thank God it wasn't connected to the internet, but like, you, you, you look at that and going, why haven't you updated this? Like, isn't that the cycle that everybody's been on? So how do we then get away from that cycle into something? Because again, we, I agree that this wellness thing makes sense and probably costs less money than these emergency situations you're talking about. Like, but how, do you, how does a company like go, but, but, but Mike, I've got all of this stuff in the closet. <laughs> like, you know, we've got to take care it, of it or get rid of it. Like, you know, Part, part of it, Keith, comes down to a, a term that 
it, it was it was briefly in vogue and then maybe because it was so weirdly named we didn't hear about it for a couple of years but it's it's there it's this idea of fin ops or financial operations Ooh, yeah <laughs> yeah you know it, it's not a sexy term i don't but, like that term at all mike <laughs> uh, i mean i don't know that anybody does but but here's the idea um we have a report, uh, a statistic in our report, and, and I don't, I don't have it immediately handy, but that some shocking percentage, right, of a, a typical enterprise's budget goes towards you know nursing the old along, right, and and that and that every dollar spent on that is just dollars not spent on the five topics we were just discussing, and so, so I think a big part of it here really is okay, um, rather than thinking about this as you know the uh, uh, you know a, a, a ball and chain tied around our our ankle mm -hmm. that's keeping us from making these other interesting bets let's just take a breath and recognize listen um typical tenure of a CIO about four years right rather than think of this as I'm going to strategically procrastinate and make it the next person's job or I'm going to boil the ocean and do the whole thing myself it's no I'm going to keep tabs on this thing, update the tiny little subsets that need it most per the monitoring and measurement through the observability and control planes that are modern and know that I don't have to finish the book. Right. I just have to write the next couple pages. And, and I think in some ways it's all about making, making it less of an elephant to be eaten and more of a handful of things that we look at weekly. Okay. We've had, I think we just broke the record for a number of different metaphors used in a single episode. <laughs> uh mike i could talk to you all day about this but i want to I, I i've got to kind of end the episode um I'm, i definitely want to have you back because this is what it, this is what i want tech talk to be and and this whole today in tech kind of uh, episode just just having these big big discussions about stuff so i appreciate uh you you going through the uh the report and and obviously if, if you want to read the report we're going to put the link of to the report in the in the description um go check it out it's the deloitte uh, top trends for uh 2024 and it does have a business focus um for you know kind of business it type stuff so uh, again thanks for, for being spending an hour or so with us today mike Oh, Keith, pleasure's all mine. Thanks for having me, sir. All right, that's all the time we do have for today's episode. Don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel, add any comments you have below. Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.